If you have your Bible, wave it at me. Open it up, please, to 1 Samuel chapter number 17 as you remain standing in honor of God's word. We're going to look at verse number 40 through verse number 47, 8, somewhere around there. We're continuing in our series, Superheroes and Sidekicks, and we're looking at perhaps the best known of all biblical superheroes other than Jesus, and that is David the Giant Slayer. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had, and a sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. Now, incidentally, historians tell us that Goliath had an armor bearer or a shield bearer because he was so big that it it impaired his eyesight. And so even though he looked like he had no weaknesses, he had an apparent weakness. Your enemy is not as strong as you think your enemy is. Sometimes we give the enemy so much more credit than the enemy deserves. But what looked like he was indefeatable, he had a weakness that David was able to exploit. And maybe that's why he didn't see the stone coming for his forehead. Anyway, the scripture goes on and it says, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God and said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel's whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you dead and take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. I want to introduce today's subject by way of a short little story of it about a boxer. In 1947, Jake LaMotta, you may have heard of him, was a boxer that was on the rise. But he wanted more rise than he was getting, and he wanted favor with the mob who was ruling uh, boxing at that time. And so they went to him and they asked him if he would take a dive in a fight against a little-known boxer at the time named Billy Fox. They would give him $20,000 and a guaranteed title shot. Well, in the first round, LaMotta hit Fox just a little bit to kind of make it look interesting, and Fox's knees began to buckle. So for the next three rounds, LaMotta carried him the whole time. In the fourth round, he leaned up purposefully against the ropes, and he allowed Billy Fox to kind of pummel him. wasn't hurting him, but it looked good, and uh, Billy Fox was awarded a technical knockout. Everybody knew that the Fox w- that the fight was fixed, and Lamada got his extra twenty grand. He got his guaranteed title shot. He also got an investigation from the S- FBI. What's my point? My point is there's no way Fox ever beats Lamada unless the fight was fixed. When we come to the story of David and Goliath, many of us think that David couldn't have won that fight, that the odds were against him. But I want you to know that the fight was fixed 
in David's favor. God had arranged that David would win that fight. How else could David beat a giant that was so big? The fight was fixed. How else could somebody who was just a teenager beat a man of war ever since he was a youth? The fight was fixed. And if you're here today and you're fighting with some something in your life, I don't know what it is. I've got good news for you. The fight is fixed in your favor. And that's what I want to minister to you about today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you speak to our hearts. We ask that you make this message relevant and real in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. Before getting into the meat of today's message, I want to share with you um, the backstory, what David had to go through, recap the backstory, because we looked at it a few weeks ago. What did David have to go through in order to get to the place where David had the opportunity to fight Goliath. What, what was the making that went into this superhero called David? And this is so important because oftentimes we think people just suddenly become superheroes. We think sudden success is something that happens to some and kind of passes us by. But the truth of the matter is there really is no such thing as sudden success. We want people to think life is all about the victories. We don't want to show anybody the struggles in our life. We like to, you know, post the pictures on Facebook and Instagram story of us with smiles on our face and, you know, us on the, the great times of life, husband and wife, you know, out to dinner, having a good time, cheek to cheek. Nobody posts fic- pictures on Facebook when they first get up in the morning before they comb their hair. Nobody posts Instagram stories of them and their wife, you know, just having an argument. Nobody does that because we want everybody to think that life is all about constant victories and constant success. Successes, but behind every victory and behind every success is a struggle. Behind every public victory is a private struggle. There is truly no gain without any pain. There is no mountaintop without a valley. There is no strength without a struggle. There's no power without pressure. And there is no great triumph without grueling training. David had lots of training that led up to the moment when he faced Goliath in his life. And last time we kind of talked a lot about it. I just want to highlight a couple of things. We talked about the fact that even though David was anointed in front of all of those who didn't believe in him by Samuel, David was faithful in front of the only one who believed in him, which was God. Even though David was faithful or David was anointed to be king in front of all of his family who didn't think he was king material, David still went back to the field and David was faithful in the field. David was faithful in developing the gifts that God had deposited on the inside of him. And by the way, isn't it great to know that when nobody believes in you, that God believes in you? A lot of times we talk about us believing in God. And I think that's important to know that, you know, we need to believe in God. But here's the thing that I know. Even when we don't believe in God, even when we're faithless to God, God still believes in us. Even when everybody overlooks us, God still believes in us. Even when we don't believe in ourselves, God still believes in us. And I don't know about you, but that just makes me glad that that God, the, the creator of the universe, the, 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 the most almighty being in, in existence, believes in us. That he wants the best for us. And so he believed in David. And David was faithful to develop those gifts 
that God had deposited in him. And last time we looked at the fact that David had two primary gifts. The first gift was that David was a warrior. And David in the field, when nobody was watching, when nobody was looking, was faithful to develop that gift. I could see him as the animals came to go against his father's flock that David practiced with his slingshot. He loaded that thing up, hit those animals, protected those sheep. I could see him in his downtime, setting up those cans and knocking them down, hitting trees as targets just to perfect that gift. He was faithful over the gift that God had given him. But he had a second gift, and we talked about it last time. We said his gift was that he was a worshiper. He was a harpist. David was faithful in perfecting his gift with the harp. Now, this isn't like a guitar. You know, nowadays you'll see the, the young kids, you know, um, the next generation, they're, they're wearing hats in the summertime. Anybody ever see the kids wearing hats in the summertime? That's usually a musician. And I always want to know, what you wearing a hat for in August, you know? And sometimes even up here on the platform, you'll see Blake who, you know, heads up some of our worship. He's got his hat on. I'm like, Blake, it's August. It's 95 degrees outside, bro. Why do you have a hat on? And these kids, they have their backpacks. And a lot of times they have these backpacks that have space for a guitar, right? And you can put the guitar in the backpack, and especially in New York City where we have one of our campuses, it's kind of cool to walk around with a guitar in your backpack. But David didn't have a guitar, y'all. He had a harp. Imagine lugging that harp back and forth on the subway. I mean, think about what that was like. There he goes back and forth, back and forth from the field to the house, from the field to the house. But here was why. David was faithful in perfecting his gift, developing what God had deposited on the inside of him. And David got called to the palace, not because he was a great warrior, but because he could play the harp. Isn't that amazing? Listen, God wants us to be faithful. When we're faithful with the gifts that God has given us, suddenly great things begin to happen. David was summoned to the palace because he could play a harp. Saul had an evil spirit. And every time David would play the harp, the evil spirit would leave. And even though Saul summoned him to the palace for one reason, God sent him to the palace for a completely different reason. God sent him there so that he could see what it was like to become king. And I know God is speaking to somebody right now. It may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. It may not feel like what you thought it was going to feel like. But God is using your experience and what you're going through to prepare you for the place that he ultimately has for you. Never overlook every experience with God. They all matter and they all play a part in your greatness. And so God brings him to the palace and there in the palace he gets to see backstage what it was like to be the king and he got an inside look on it. And what I love about David is David didn't make his own way to the palace. Have you ever got around people that every conversation you could tell they're just trying to figure out whether you could do something for them? They're trying, you know, they're trying to connect and so, you know, they can open a door or you can open a door. And what I love about God and what I love about David is when you serve God, you don't have to open your own doors. When you serve God, when it's time for you to get summoned to the proper place in life, God will make sure that you get sent to that place and there is no devil in hell that can stop you from the place that God has for you. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to enjoy the journey. 
We want to rush to the place that God has for us. And in the process of rushing to the place that God has for us, we often don't get the training that is required to stay in the place that God has for us. If you get there too fast, sometimes you won't stay there long. But when you sow, when you're faithful, when you sow the seed of being faithful, God develops your gifts so that when the time is right, you can stay in the place that God has put you in. And so God summons or God sends a David to the palace for a different reason than Saul summoned him. And God will do the same for you. And when he's there, he all of a sudden gets favor with Saul. And Saul the king begins to train David, his replacement, and Saul doesn't even know it. God will cause the right people to come across your path at the right time. And what I love about this particular thing is he gets favor with Saul, the least likely person that you would think that David, who's anointed to be Saul's replacement, would get favor. And God wants you to know this. You don't need favor with everybody. You just need favor with the right people in your life. And if you don't have favor with somebody, guess what? You don't need them for your ultimate assignment. Stop trying to make everybody like you. Everybody is not supposed to like you but the people who God needs to like you will like you and that's why it's so important just be yourself don't try to be anybody else because the wrong people will then like you and so he gets favor with Saul he becomes his armor bearer for a season and by the way did you know that the road to the palace is paved the road to becoming a superhero is paved by first being a sidekick David was an armor bearer to Saul before he was the king of Israel. In other words, he learned how to serve. He learned how to be faithful to somebody else. He learned to be faithful to what belonged to somebody else. When you're faithful over the little things, the scripture says, God will make you ruler over many things. Never underestimate the days when God just calls you to be faithful. You know what my first job assignment in church was? Clean the toilets. Why? Did they go, hey, we need volunteers for the toilets? And I was like, yeah, that's me. I I really want to clean toilets. (laughs) Nobody else would do it. And so the pastor, I said to the pastor, I said, pastor, I'll do it. He said, really? I said, absolutely, I'll do it. And I started cleaning them toilets. Man, them toilets were the cleanest toilets that church has ever seen. Because I wasn't doing it for people. I was doing it for God. And so I was going to do it with excellence. And I was going to do my best at that thing. And I'd show up every week at the same time to clean them toilets before anybody else got to church. Make sure they were spicking. Of course, I wore gloves. You know, I wasn't like some type of sadistic individual or anything like that. But, you know, you paved the way to your success by your faithfulness in being a sidekick before you're a superhero. And so David gets all these things and he's finally in the palace and when he's in the palace what I love about David is David stayed connected to father's house Saul I guess had an arrangement with David's father Jesse where David was able to go back and tend the sheep and so because David stayed connected to his father's house look at what happened his father said to him one day he said go ahead and bring some supplies to your brothers who are on the battlefield and because he stayed connected to his father's house he was introduced to a opportunity that would change his life forever what's a opportunity pastor it's an opportunity neatly described or disguised as a problem Do you know what makes you unique and what makes you valuable is not being able to do what everybody else can do. What makes you unique and what makes you valuable is being able to solve problems that nobody else can. 
And so this is why it's so important for us to just be ourselves. Nobody else could solve the Goliath problem. But because David could solve the Goliath problem, David became Israel's next king. Don't run away from your problems. Ask God for wisdom for how to solve those problems. Because when you solve a problem, you become more valuable than everyone. That's why it's so important not to try to be like anybody else. Because when you're like other people and all you do is what other people can do, you cheapen yourself And God has made you uniquely wonderful to be you. And when you're you, you will solve problems and do things that only you can do. And so David is there because he stays connected to Father's house. He's introduced to the door of his destiny. Why am I telling you this? Because so many people get disconnected from church. Do you know what the new average for attendance in church is? It's 1.7 times a month. People attend church. Look how quiet it got right here. People attend church 1.7 times a month. Do you know how sad that is? We attend 1.7 times a month, and yet we expect God to show up all the time on time. Is this thing on? You know, we need to be faithful. Faithful to Father's house. Here's the place where we get to express our gifts and use our gifts. And God sees our faithfulness and begins to open up bigger doors of opportunity for us. And because David was faithful, he got the opportunity of a lifetime. And so we talked about all these things. And I I bring them up again, not to repeat myself, but simply to encourage you that there's training that has to go into your success. You have to develop the gifts that God has deposited in you. You can't just say, well, I have a gift and, you know, the gift is just going to automatically be good. No, you have to develop that thing. And when you develop your gift, the Bible says your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men and women, give you great opportunities, develop your gift. But here's what I want to do. I want to pick up the story from the place that David's faithfulness meets its payday. And I want to encourage you that your faithfulness will always have a payday. He that is faithful in little, the scripture says, God will make ruler over many things. Your faithfulness will eventually pay off. And so the day that David's faithfulness pays is the day where he walks into this opportunity, this big problem that's an opportunity named Goliath. And everybody, whenever they think of the story of David and Goliath, what do they think of? It's the underdog story. It's a story about how David couldn't, how David shouldn't have, how Goliath was too big and and David was too small, how Goliath was too strong and David was too weak. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that Goliath was not supposed to win that fight. David was supposed to win that fight because the fight was fixed by the God, our God in heaven to go in David's favor. And the same way that God fixed the fight for David is the same way that God wants to fix the fight for you. Notice what Saul says to David. He tries to tell him, you can't. Listen to it. Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. For your youth, he's a man of war from his youth. In other words, you can't do this. The odds are against you. You're too small. He's too big. You're too weak. He's too strong. All of the reasons why David couldn't. And here's what David says. I love the next phrase. It says, but David said to Saul, verse number 34, but David said to Saul. One more time. But David said to Saul. Write this down. It's not in your notes, but it's noteworthy. You know one of the greatest attributes 
of superheroes in God's kingdoms? Write this down. Get ready. I, I really want everybody to write this down. Pay attention to this. Superheroes in God's kingdom have big butts. Let me say it again because some of you didn't catch it. Superheroes in God's kingdom have big butts. But David said to Saul, Saul said, you can't, you're not able, you're too small, you're too weak. But David said to Saul, in other words, superheroes in the kingdom of God understand that when everybody else sees that the odds are stacked against them, they understand that there's more going for them than actually is against them. David said, you might see the odds stacked against me, but I see everything that is for me. If you're going to have a big butt, you need to have a big God. If God is small in your eyes, anytime somebody ever shares anything that you can't do, you'll just accept it. But when God is big in your eyes, when God is who he's supposed to be in your life, you will always have a butt to anything that anybody says you can't do that God has called you to do. And so David is saying, look at what he says here. He goes, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took out the lamb from the flock, I went out after it and I struck it. I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. He said, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing as defied the armies of the living God. What a mouthful. David says several things that tell us the fight is fixed in our favor. The first thing he says is he says, the Lord the Lord. First thing you need to know, why is the fight fixed in your favor? Because you've got God on your side. So many times in our lives when we go through battles, we forget this basic truth that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God is on your side, that God is in your corner, that God is fighting for you, that God is fighting with you. And I don't know about you, but if you have got God on your side, you cannot lose any of the battles that you go through because God never loses. When I was... In fourth grade, and some of you have heard this story before, if you come to church here for, you know, lots of years, you've heard me tell the same stories over and over again, but that's okay. How many of you read the Bible over and over again? How many of you know it gets better and better each time? How many of you know every time I tell a story, I add more and more untruth to it? Just to make it better and better and better. That's just the way it goes. Use a little author's privilege. When I was in the fourth grade, um, I had a kid who was bullying me. And not like bullying is today. Everybody talking about bullying. And, you know, somebody looks at you the wrong way. It's bullying and all that kind of stuff. And I believe there's bullying. But, but back in the day, it wasn't that. And there was this kid, and, and he was bullying me, which was, which was really unusual. Because I was always the tallest kid. I was always the strongest kid. I was always the smartest kid. I was always the best athlete. I was always the most, the best looking kid. Just, just kidding you, just kidding. But I was really the biggest kid in the class all the time. And I actually, I was six foot one when I was 13 years old and then I stopped growing and now I'm six foot one and a half, maybe Maybe under six foot one, because as you get older, you start to shrink a little bit. Has anybody ever noticed that? You know, you get, I'm like, I thought I was six one and a half. I'm not quite that anymore. Anyway, and this kid was picking on me, and he was picking on me not because he was I was a, he, he could beat me up, but he was picking on me, and he picked on everybody really because he had a big older brother. His big older brother was in eighth grade. He was six foot six, and he had a really scary name. His name was KK. 
One more K and that's a big problem right there, right? And he used to bully everybody and he'd just pick on you and pick on you. And if you would ever do anything back, he'd say, I'm going to get my brother on you. I'm going to get my brother on you, you know. And nobody would mess with me, do whatever he wants because of his brother. Well, one day he just picked on me just too much and I had enough. Anybody just have, ever have enough of something? How many of you know some of the greatest decisions you'll ever make in your life is when you've had enough of something? Sometimes you need to have enough of something in order to make some choices that you would have never made. Sometimes you've got to have enough of the enemy beating in your brains to take a stand on some scriptures and the promises of Almighty God. And I just had enough. So I beat him up. <laughs> beat him up. I was like, now nah, go get your brother. The next day I woke up for school. When my mother woke me up, she said, she said, come on, it's time to get ready for school. I said, oh, I can't go to school today. <laughs> she said, why not? I said, I'm just not feeling good. My stomach hurts, Mom. I said, look, I got a fever. You know how to do that, right? Just heat it up. Heat up the thermometer, right? And show it to your mom. Mom, I got a, look at that, I got a fever. She looked and said, 115, kind of get you to the doctor real quick. Just put it on ice a little bit, goes back down. No, it's only 100, Mom. You misread that. Them eyes are getting old right there, right? And so I stayed home and just, you know, played it cool. And the next day, my mother came to wake me up for school. I said, I, I can't go to school today. So I'm not feeling good. After the third day, I heard my father came and they said, what's wrong? We, we, know, we know you're not sick. Why won't you go to school? So finally, I told him, I said, KK is going to beat me up. I told my dad the whole story. And so my dad said, he said, don't worry. He said, we can handle this. I said, what are we going to do, Dad? Because I wasn't afraid when you were in school because you got the teachers around and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was smart enough not to go to the bathroom when KK was going to be in the bathroom or anything like that, you know, call out in the bathroom first. Anybody in there? I was afraid at the school, in the schoolyard during recess. So my dad said, no problem. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to sit up in the paddle ball courts. Anybody know paddle ball? Some of you don't know paddle ball. Anybody not know paddle ball? Like that's a hick right there. That's a hick right there. That's a hick right there. Look at that. Paddle ball is, you know, you, 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 hit, a, you hit a little ball against a cement wall, you know, with, with, with a paddle, you know. And, and it's a big thing in, in where I grew up in Brooklyn and Staten Island and the Bronx and New York and Queens. It's a, it's a big, big thing. And you have to wait online to get in the game and everything. Like Lots of fights. One of my friends actually was telling me the other day that he had such a fight, he took his paddle and cracked somebody's head open with it. That's serious stuff. See, y'all can't handle New York. You're just like out here at Hicks. Anyway. Um, so my dad said, I'll sit up in the paddleball courts, which overlook the schoolyard. And he said, and so when you go out for recess, don't worry, I'll be there if anything happens. And so it was recess time and everybody's going out and going out and going out and, you know, running out to recess. And I'm like, <laughs> I get to the door. I'm like, so if I see my dad up there, I see my dad up there. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Watch out. <laughs> All of a sudden, a confidence came on the inside of me because I knew that my dad was in my corner. And here's what we need to understand when we go into fights in life. It doesn't matter how big the giant is. It doesn't matter how bad the giant is. It doesn't matter how, how, how strong the giant is. That if we've got our heavenly father, not just our earthly father, but our heavenly father in our corner, if he's looking out for us, if he's by our side, if God be for us, the scripture says, who can be against us? If God is on our side, what can man do unto us? We need to realize we've got God in our corner. David said, the Lord, the Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, God is on my side. God is on your side. You're not fighting alone. Sometimes in life you feel alone. Sometimes in life you feel like the situation is too big and too powerful. God wants you to know he's there with you every step 
of the way. But then I love what David said. He said, and this uncircumcised Philistine. That's a low blow. Let me try that again. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine. That's a low blow. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say right there. Get her done. No, just get this play with y'all. What, what's, what's this whole circumcision and uncircumcision have anything to do with the fight being fixed in your favor? Well, number two on your outline, the second thing you need to realize is you've got a covenant on your side. In Bible times, if you were circumcised, you were in covenant with Almighty God. It was a sign of being in covenant. If you were uncircumcised, you had no covenant. And so David thinks, and he thinks about it in a second, he says, isn't Goliath uncircumcised? And everybody said, well, yeah, because he's a Philistine. And so David said, well, then I'll go out and fight him because I am circumcised. I got a covenant with Almighty God. He doesn't have a covenant with Almighty God. There's only one way this fight can go, and that's in my favor because God is a God who honors covenant. Now, we don't get excited about this because we don't understand what covenant is. To us, covenant is kind of like, you know, a contract, if you will, that we can break if, if things don't go the way we like it to. But in Bible times, covenant was, was serious business. Psalm 89, verse number 34 says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my mouth. And in Bible times, there were five parts to every single covenant, five parts to every covenant. The first part was the questioning part. And this is where the two parties that were going to enter into covenant with one another would question each other as to whether they'll uphold the covenant. And so they'd say things like, well, if this happens, will you still uphold the covenant? And, and if these circumstances change, will you still uphold the covenant? And, 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 and if circumstances get bad all of a sudden, will you still make good on your promise? And to give you an example of this in, in modern day, this is what a marriage is. A marriage is a covenant. And so what happens, the first thing that the pastor will ask people, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you take this husband to be your lawfully wedded husband? What is he doing? Questioning them. Why? Because questioning is always part of the covenant. And what do you do? You vow to do it under good circumstances or bad circumstances because marriage is supposed to be Forever, We're going to talk about that in a minute. So they would question one another. And then the second thing that every covenant had is it had an exchange of gifts. And so as soon as they agreed that they would both, you know, satisfied that the person would uphold the covenant, they would exchange gifts. At a wedding, what do you do? You exchange rings. Why? That's your gift. That's your sign that you, the questioning has been satisfied and you're now ready to enter into this covenant with one another. So they would exchange gifts. And then after they would exchange gifts, the next thing they would do, and this part you don't do in public when it comes to a wedding ceremony. It's kind of a little out of order for, for the way it's done in the Bible. But it was the, the third thing was the cutting of the covenant. And this is where there was the shedding of blood. How many of you know that nobody understands this anymore because nobody sheds their blood on their honeymoon anymore? Nobody sheds their blood on their honeymoon anymore. Something that we, we, we think is free to just give away whenever we want to whomever we want. We don't understand that's the seal of the covenant. See, the reason why it's so easy for people to get divorced is because they don't solidify the covenant on their honeymoon. 
that has been solidified somewhere else or with someone else. And so the bond that is supposed to keep you together for the rest of your life is not as strong as it otherwise would be. Now, there's no harm in the fact if that's already happened to you, you need to just get, get, get past it, repent, ask God forgiveness, live a life for God from that moment forward. But if you're young enough to still have the preciousness of virginity, keep your virginity until you're ready to cut that covenant so that that covenant is stronger than it otherwise would be. That's good preaching right there. Nobody preaches that stuff no more. And so they would cut the covenant, and the way they would do it is they'd slice their wrist, and they would commingle their blood. It would drip into a cup of wine, and they would drink the blood of one another. By the way, that's why Jesus said, when you drink this cup, you have partaken with me. It's a shared experience. And then the fourth thing they would do is they would pronounce the blessings on the covenant participants. They would say, everything that this person has is now yours, and everything that they have is now theirs. And and this is why in marriage, it's so important that we realize it's not mine and yours, it's ours. I understand that sometimes people have different bank accounts for different reasons. One pays the bills, the other's for spending money. I never understood why people who are married, this is my bank account, this is my money, you can't touch my money, and that's your money over there. What happened that you don't want to be in covenant with that partner. Everything is supposed to be shared. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. And so they would announce these, these blessings and then they would announce a curse. And the curse was if you break this covenant, it's punishable by death. Because covenant is not something that we enter into lightly. It is supposed to be a lifelong decision. And then the last thing that they would do is they would plant a tree, fifth part of covenant, that was known to live forever because covenant is Forever. It's longevity. And so David looks at Goliath, says he's uncircumcised. I got a covenant. I know God keeps covenant to a thousand generations. I know what belongs to me in my covenant. And so the fight is only going to go in one direction. I'm going to win this thing. You and I, we have a better covenant than David had. We don't have a Bible. We have a book of two covenants. The old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant was strong enough to get David to get victory over Goliath. How much stronger is the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ to give us victory over whatever it is that we're fighting against? The covenant is strong. Check this out. God entered the covenant with us. Here's how he did it. First thing he did was he questioned. He looked over over time and eternity and he said, can they keep this covenant? He questioned You know what he said? No. They're too human. Anybody chronically human around here? What is chronically human? Chronically human means that you're prone to failures and mistakes and misgivings and mishaps and all those kind of things. Chronically human people, we're going to mess up. And God said, I can't enter into this covenant directly with them because if I do, they're going to break the covenant. If they break the covenant, i got to kill them. So what does God do? God says, I'm going to become one of them 
so that I can enter into a covenant with a representative man. I can enter into a covenant with myself. God becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ, cuts a covenant with Jesus, who is a representative or a substitute for all of the human race, so that when God the Father enters into covenant with God the Son, that covenant can never, ever, 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 ever be broken. And God, therefore, doesn't have to punish us for breaking the covenant. That's good news right there. Jesus is one of us. He became our substitute, 100% God, but 100% man. And then the second thing that God did is he exchanged gifts with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the exchange. Here's how it goes. We give Jesus our sin. Jesus gives us his righteousness. We give Jesus our junk. Jesus gives us everything that heaven has to offer. We give Jesus our sin. He gives us his forgiveness. We give Jesus our sickness. He gives us his healing. We give Jesus our poverty. He gives us his wealth. We give Jesus our our lack of understanding. He gives us his wisdom. We give Jesus all of the trash, all of the garbage. Jesus gives us everything that heaven has to offer. The exchange, it went in our favor. And then the third thing that happened is the covenant was cut. When? Every time Jesus spilt his blood in the garden, he sweat drops of blood. They put a crown thorn on his head. He bled drops of blood. They whipped him with a Roman cat nine tail across his back. He hemorrhaged lots of blood. They, they thrust a spear into his side. Forthwith, the Bible says there came out water and blood. Blood for the covenant, water for the new birth. When a woman is about to give birth, what happens? Her water breaks. Why did Jesus have water come out of his side on the cross? Because he wanted us to know that there's only one way to God, and that's that we must be born again. It's not a religious term. It is a term which means to come into Christ, get all your sins washed away, and enter into covenant with Almighty God. It's such a fabulous restart. It's like getting born all over again. That's what it means. Jesus hemorrhaged blood, blood when they put nails in his hands, blood when they put nails in his feet. The enemy thought he was crucifying Christ. You know why God let it happen? God was cutting covenant. God was letting Jesus bleed so that your covenant and my covenant with God the Father would be ratified forever. Our covenant is so strong it has been sealed, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how strong the covenant is. And after they cut the covenant, they would pronounce the blessing over the covenant. When Jesus was on that cross, do you know what the Bible says happened? The tail, the the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. Do you know why? Access to God was granted. And when access to God was granted, do you know we got everything that heaven has to offer? Those are all of the blessings. Heaven was shouting out, healing is part of this covenant, and prosperity is part of this covenant, and wisdom is part of this covenant, and protection is part of this covenant, and safety is part of this covenant, and peace that passes all understanding is part of this covenant. All of a sudden, all of the things which belong to us. And then Jesus himself said this, He shouted out the last blessing, and it's the best blessing. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was he saying? Forgiveness is part of this covenant. Forgiveness. None of us deserve it, but God grants it to all of us who ask of it. And then where did Jesus cut this covenant? Jesus cut this covenant on a tree. Why? It's a forever 
covenant. You know what David did? David looked at Goliath and he said, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing as defied the armies of the living God. What was he saying? You ain't got no covenant and I have a covenant. So guess what? This fight is fixed for my favor because my father has cut a covenant with me that will last forever. And that covenant promises that every fight that I go into, I walk out the victor. You got covenant on your side. The last thing I want to share with you today, the fight is fixed in your favor, is that you've got better weapons. You've got better weapons. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but let me take a moment to elaborate on it here as we wrap this up. In Bible times, there were different kinds of warriors. There was the cavalry. These were those that rode on horses. There was the infantry. These are they that fought with swords in close combat. Then there was the artillery. These were those that were archers or slingers. When we think of an archer or a slinger, we think of, you know, kind of soft. We're not thinking marine here. But these were bad boys. These were dudes that can get their slingshot revolving six to seven revolutions per second. I mean, this thing was, was moving, moving, moving. Anything they put in that and they launched from was a projectile that was destined for destruction. David was a slinger. Goliath was a swordsman. Goliath was the strongest, the best, the most capable that was on the earth at the time for hand-to-hand combat. David was a slinger. He wasn't good at hand-to-hand combat. And so what does Goliath do? Goliath says to David, come down here and I'll kill you. You know what? Goliath was right. If David fought Goliath, how Goliath was good, with Goliath's weapons, David loses every time. But David didn't go down to Goliath's level. As David was running toward Goliath, you know what David did? David used what he was good at. He didn't get close enough that Goliath could get him with a sword. He stayed far enough away so that he could use the weapons that God had given him. Let me put it to you this way. Mayweather and McGregor. Anybody see the fight? I loved it. I wanted to have a UFC match in the gym at the church. We were going to have them come in and do it and pack the gym out. And they said, Pastor, you can't do that in church. And so they talked me out of it. But I really wanted it because I like watching people beat each other up. (laughs) It's supposed to be the greatest fight of all time. The best UFC fighter versus the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world. And everybody didn't know who was going to win until they announced the rules of the fight. When McGregor agreed to fight Mayweather in a boxing match, we immediately knew McGregor's going to lose that fight. But I want you to know that if Mayweather fought McGregor in a UFC fight, McGregor would have took him out in 15 seconds. See, the key is not who was stronger. It was who was stronger at the kind of fighting that they were doing. And here's what Goliath knew. Goliath said, come on down here and fight me on my level. David said, I'm not good at that, but I've got superior weapons to you. And so I'm not going to fight you down there. I'm going to release something from up here. And when it hits you, it's going to kill you. What is God saying? God is saying, Don't come down to the devil's level. Don't fight down here. Don't fight tit for tat. 
Don't fight insult for insult. Don't fight you hurt me, I hurt you. Don't fight compromise. Don't fight with lack of integrity. Don't fight with no character. Don't get down in the dirt with people. Stay up high. Use the weapons that God has given you. God has given you superior weapons. The scripture says the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know how you need to fight? You need to fight with the weapons that God has given. The weapon of prayer, which gives you the peace that passes all understanding. The weapon of worship, which when you praise God, God inhabits the presence of his people and God begins to cause your enemies to scatter. The weapons of his promises, every promise is yes and amen. The weapon of his word, which is a sharp two-edged sword. The weapon of kindness. You gotta fight with those weapons. These are the weapons that God has given us. Use these weapons and no other weapons. And when you use these weapons, God says the fight is fixed in your favor. This is how we're supposed to fight as Christians. Sometimes we feel that we just can't win. And I want you to know you can't win if you fight the way the world fights. You can't win if you stoop down to a lower level. Stay up high. Use the things that God has given you. Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. Be kind. Be compassionate. Look at the other person's perspective. Wouldn't that be a novel idea? Let me put myself in the other person's shoes for a second. Jesus put himself in our shoes, literally. See, we don't have a Savior who can't understand us. We don't have a Savior that just watched from afar. We have a Savior that became one of us. He walked in our shoes, and that's why every time I go to Jesus, and I say to Jesus, I messed up. It was intense. The temptation was strong. You know what Jesus said? I understand see your point of view and then he offers us a higher perspective let's fight with the right weapons in this world let's not mix it up down here when you do the fight it's fixed in your favor would you stand on your feet